I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. All opinions and discussions on the podcast are purely individual experience, so please consult a doctor or medical professional for more information. Welcome to the Shake It Up Show, a podcast in partnership with Shake It Up Australia Foundation for Parkinson's Research, where we speak to people whose lives have been impacted by Parkinson's disease and hear their stories. My name is Amy Louise Ruffle. I'm an actor, comedian, podcaster, and most importantly, a proud Shake It Up Australia ambassador in support of my dad who lives with Parkinson's. My guest today already has me fascinated as in my research, I found out that her Instagram handle is handstand for Parkinson's and I'm a big fan of gymnastics. So we're obviously going to have to talk about that a lot more. But before we get into that, please welcome to the show, Christine Cherichandran. Christine, welcome. Thank you for having me. Now we will, like I said, get into this gymnastics chat as the conversation progresses, but I think it's worth setting things up a little bit before then. So I think a good place to start would be to talk about your travel to Peru and your Christian work over there that crossed over with your diagnosis of Parkinson's. So can you tell us about your connection to Peru and and the work you were doing there? Yeah, so we moved over there in uh, 2011 with my little kids. We had three kids under three, with twins who were three Oh, three, and our boy was uh, nine months old, and we moved to Peru. We uh, decided to learn Spanish and work with the church there, and we lived there for over ten years, um, working with the church. And later, with I was working with with Parkinson's as well. So it was a great, um, well, it was a really great opportunity to learn a language and be in a different culture and just challenge yourself because it wasn't always easy living in a different culture, especially getting a diagnosis like Parkinson's in the middle of that. So, and a diagnosis in Spanish, I might add. And then, like, just learning to manage a disease in a country that's not really set up for doing that very well. So, yeah, it was a it was an exciting opportunity and challenge. In terms of just, I guess, general differences you found, what were some of the biggest changes from life in Australia to your life over there? Oh, just the little things started to frustrate you. And like you'd go to a shop and it was it seemed highly inefficient. You'd have to go from what to one counter and you'd, you couldn't touch the products you wanted to get. You had to tell them on the shelf, that's what I want. And when you don't speak Spanish very well, you couldn't really do that very easily. So I'd be like pointing it out and they go, which one? And I, I couldn't read the label very well in Spanish and they couldn't tell. And so then by the time they figured out what you got, they put it on the list. Then you didn't pay them directly. Then you had to take that receipt and go to a different counter and pay for it. And then you take that receipt to a different counter then they would package your food and give it to you. So three different people would be dealing with you. And little things like that would just get on your nerves at first. But we got used to it. And the people were very kind and generous. And we made lots of amazing friends in Peru. You must be just hooning around Coles or Woolies these days, grabbing <laughs> things that were... So fast. <laughs> yeah. Getting to have the control yourself must be nice. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you go learning Spanish? Oh, it took a little while. So we spent the first year just learning. Um, but I had three children under three, so it was hard to have a conversation with someone in Spanish without it being interrupted by a toddler mm. or a toddler running off or a toddler trying to escape the park or a toddler, you know, not saying, what are you talking about? I don't understand, you know. So it was a bit of a challenge at first. But after a few years, we sort of got the hang of it. 
people would say, why are you um, speak so fast? Why do you speak better than your husband? But he didn't, I didn't actually speak better. I just spoke faster. <laughs> My husband was more exact, but I was a woman. So I would, you know, try and just learn to speak faster and make errors and people were very forgiving. So that was wonderful. It's all about the illusion of confidence, isn't it? Yep. That's what, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you went there in 2011. At what point did your Parkinson's diagnosis come and what took you to go to the doctors over there? What symptoms were you experiencing? Yeah, my symptoms were a little unusual. I started dropping things with my fingers, which I would never have connected with Parkinson's and nor did my, doc- my GP, my local doctor. So basically I went to him and he tried to eliminate everything else that it could be. And then that led me, to, he sent me to a neurologist and the neurologist said, from the moment I walked into the, you walked into the room, I knew you had Parkinson's. Mind you, he did examine me first to make sure. Um, and then he said that and in Spanish. And at the beginning of the time he'd said, oh, I do speak English a little bit, but, you know, but, you know only if you need it. And th- at that point we sort of said to him, can you please say it again in Spanish? No, in English. And he said it again in English and it was the same thing. So we knew that something was definitely wrong. It was Parkinson's disease. And, um, yeah, we had to learn quickly what that meant because we had no idea what Parkinson's was all about except that Michael J. Fox had it. (laughs) Yep, that's a lot of people's entry points, isn't it? And then you realise what a diverse disease that it can be. And and do you mind me asking what age you were when you were diagnosed? I was just 37. So my kids were, I think they were... Six and three, if I remember rightly, yeah. What was it like getting a diagnosis like this on the other side of the world? Well, I tried to, um, this was like nine, almost 10 years ago, nine and a half years ago. So the information on the internet was less. There was less information online than there is today. Today, um, there's so much information you can get. But back then, there wasn't as much. So it was hard to get the information that I needed, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to explain it to people because I'd only been there about two and a half, two and a bit years maybe. And so, yeah, it was hard to explain it to people as well. So we kind of kept it a secret, in a Spanish secret at least. With English people I could discuss it, but I didn't really feel that comfortable talking about it either because you're quite emotional at first. Mm-hmm. And then people have a lot of questions you don't know how to answer, so I didn't want to answer those at first. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. It's a It's a process to come to that acceptance point isn't it absolutely yeah so at first I was very emotional struggled but um yeah with time I got more confidence about how to talk about my disease and so I know you did stay over there for some time what was the course of action once you got that diagnosis what what changed in your life at first not a lot the doctors gave me some medication and um then we had it double checked and um, they'd given me um, levodopa straight away. And so they put me back and decided that I should be on an antagonist, not an levodopa. And that was good for a while, but gradually the medic that left lost its effect. It wasn't as effective as before. So eventually I went back onto levodopa after a couple of years, three or four years. Yeah. So they told me to exercise, but there was very little um, information about the exercise and the exercise. The instruction to exercise came from my GP um, in Peru, who was American. So he had then decided, wow, I didn't know she had Parkinson's disease. Now I'm going to make sure I know how to treat her. So he looked it up and he talked a lot of people he went to medical school with and um, found out what were the best treatments and how to, how to help, help me out. So what were those exercise-based interventions that you found to be helpful? Well, at, 
nobody told me what type of exercise to do. They just said exercise and anything's good, you're young. That was the instruction. So it was rather unhelpful. So I just went to the gym occasionally. And it was only when I came back to Australia and I did a course with PD Warrior. Um, it was a course for physiotherapists, but they let me sit in and learn what they were learning. And so that's when I learned about some of the exercises you could do for Parkinson's. And that was a good starting point to get me going because I'd lost a lot of movement by then. I'd lost flexibility, strength and coordination. But it really, the exercise, the light exercise didn't help me enough. I needed a lot more. And it was only when I took up intense gymnastics that things started to change. So, okay, now I'm really excited. So tell me about this intense gymnastics. What does that mean? Well, it didn't start off intense. So basically I did about 45 minutes the first class and I said to my professor at the beginning, I'm frightened, and he just laughed. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so it started off a little bit slow, so 45 minutes, and then it gradually went up to two hours three times a week. And um, basically it was just working on very simple things like coordination, balance, and strength and coordination. I said that balance from going around in circles. There were four things, but yeah. So basically, we were, and I worked with a group of adults who were people who are pole dancers, which is quite unexpected for me to be working with pole dancers, but they were wonderful girls and they encouraged me and we worked together. And they encouraged me because they weren't young gymnasts, they were, you know, closer to my age. And so that was wonderful to have their encouragement and have someone to work with as well. So, yeah, basically I got better and better. But my, uh, you'd have to watch the video to see what happened because it was a bit of an up and down story. But eventually I got I learned how to do a handstand and I made a video about my progress and it was shortlisted at the World Parkinson's Video Competition in 2019 in Kyoto. That's incredible. I myself have watched the video and to see the progress between I think it was 2018 and 2020, it's just phenomenal. Like your capacity seems to have evolved so much throughout that time. So other than obviously that physical change, what is it that you love about gymnastics? Just being able to achieve things that I never expected were possible. So I went away to the World Parkinson's Congress and I came back and my class was suddenly doing, they were climbing the rope. And I thought, well, if they weren't doing it three months ago and they can do it now, that took maybe they took less than three months to do it. Maybe I could learn. And that was a leap of faith on, on my part because, you know, I have Parkinson's, you don't think you're that strong. And it was extremely hard. I would never have predicted I could get to the top, but my arms would ache after every time I just held on to the rope. So the first day I just hung on it. Second day I tried to move up one leg, you know, and I kept just doing that and kept going. And eventually I got to the top of the rope and that was like six metres or so. So it wasn't a small achievement for me, so it was pretty exciting. It was just really encouraging to see that I could do things that were unexpected. Yeah, so that was fun. It must be amazing to have such a tangible measure of progress because a lot of things in our life you can't see as clearly as not being able to climb a rope and then all of a sudden you're at the top. Yeah, well, definitely. But it does take time and I think people think, oh, she can do it. I can't. No, I, I couldn't have done it at the beginning. It just took a lot of little bits of work that, you know, just going every day. When I didn't want to go to the gym, I just went anyway. If I had a terrible headache, I just say, I'll feel better after the gym. And I usually did, even though the arms were a little sore. I would often feel better. So, and But I was also very tired. I would just go home and have a nap straight away. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't easy at all for me. So people don't, people think that maybe she did it as a kid. Maybe this came easy. No, definitely not. No, grueling hard work. 
yeah if you want to achieve you have to work hard and so the work that you did or are still doing uh, with gymnastics how have you seen that affect your day-to-day abilities and existence mainly the main thing it was started with flexibility so I couldn't even lift my arms up straight at the time struggled to shrug my shoulders and that sort of thing and that that improved so um, just being able to move made it easier then I started to be able to walk better I'm not so uncoordinated. I didn't bump into things like I did before. I stopped dragging my foot. I could, I re, um, basically with time I've re, um, how do I say it, retrained myself to walk without even realising, like I wasn't doing it intentionally. It just came. And so that was all the hard work that I did. And I've done a lot of Pilates since I've been in Australia, pop Pilates, which is kind of like dance Pilates. And that strengthens all the muscles around the the, the thighs, the, the legs and um, the hips. And, you know, that really has helped as well. So that I, my walking is now pretty much most people, if I'm on a good day and my drugs are working, you can't really tell I have Parkinson's. But there are other days where the drugs don't work very well. So that makes it um, harder. But, yeah, most of the time I can walk pretty normally and most, most people won't pick it up. It improved my tremor as well, which was interesting. Okay. So, have the, um, I guess, doctors given a reason as to why those two things could be linked? No, not really. People, um, doctors are really shocked at what I've done and surprised. So that's wonderful um, that, that that it's encouraging for people. Um, and a lot of people, other, other people have done the sort of things I've done um, with different exercises or in different sports or different ways of doing it. But I think the main thing is it's just the hard work and the perseverance is what what people have responded. Yeah, yeah, if you persevere, if you put the time in, you can have benefits. So I think that's the main lesson for anyone. Want to try and work on the the different range of things, so the flexibility, the Pilates-style movements as well. Your your core is really important, your um, strength, your coordination and your balance. So they're the four areas that I think are really important. So if you're not doing those areas and you're just doing one thing that's rather boring, like, you know, just then I think it can have limited effect. So it depends what you do. You don't have to do gymnastics, though, but it is fun. <laughs> but on this podcast, we are advocating for gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you're a person who's very driven, but you've had a journey that I'm sure has been filled with real big ups and downs. How have you coped with the changes and the challenges you've had to face? Um, I, I think the main thing is just get back on the bike. When you don't want to do something, you just keep getting back on the bike. So I had COVID and it was pretty bad. I was at Peru at the time. I wasn't what you call it, vaccinated. I wasn't vaccinated at the time because we didn't have the vaccine at that point in Peru. So I was in wait, in bed for about three or four weeks, three weeks. And so, but I just, you know, the, about two months later, I just started going back to the gym, just doing what I could. Couldn't keep up with the class, but I did my best. So just, you know, just keep going back to it, doing what you can. And I have an arm injury at the moment, which limited me a bit with gymnastics, but I still keep going to the gym as much as I can and doing what I can. That's the main thing I recommend for people with Parkinson's, just be persistent. And how has the response been from your community, your family and friends? What's their support meant to you? Oh, it's been amazing. I've been really blessed um, that everyone's very encouraging to me. They say you're inspirational. I'm like, well, it's just hard work. So if you keep work, working hard, you can hopefully get some results. Um, it's hard though. Um, um, yeah, my family's been really supportive. My husband's wonderful. My kids are also very helpful. Yeah, so, but I really think we need to keep raising money for a cure 
because as I get, get on with my Parkinson's, my, my drugs, drugs are less effective with time. They last for less amount of time. So that's a challenge. So we need to find more medication and more drugs that can stop this disease progressing and help me live a better life and everyone else with Parkinson's live a better life. So. Yeah, we certainly are just driving towards finding that cure and everything that Shake It Up Australia is doing is aiding that. So I know you echo me in the sentiment of if anyone can uh, support them financially or by hosting a fundraiser, those things are just so important and beneficial and vital. Now, you mentioned just before the World Parkinson's Conference. Is that right? Yes, yes. So I'm an ambassador for the World Parkinson's Congress. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but I encourage everyone to get along to the next World um, I encourage everyone to get along to the next World Parkinson's Congress. This next one is in July, and there'll be another one three years later in a, a different country. This time it's in Barcelona. And so it's a really exciting place to be. Um, you get to meet lots of people who have Parkinson's and who are really inspirational, who are working hard to help their communities. And um, there's lots of also scientists who are looking for a cure. So I went in 2019 to Kyoto, and it was an amazing experience. It really changed my life a little bit because... I didn't really met anyone with Parkinson's up to that point, especially no one young and my age. So it was a great way to see that people could give back to their community. And that's also sort of spurred me on to help my community in Peru, where I was living at the time. I started a support group and I started a network across Latin America. Now I'm doing research into the needs of people with Parkinson's in Latin America to try and help bring to the light these people who are sort of hidden away. They suffer a lot of stigma a lot of shame, and they don't usually have great services in their country for Parkinson's disease. So it's really given me a sense of purpose in trying to help those who are in need. You can't help everyone, and it's really hard because you do feel really helpless seeing people who are suffering, and I do see that as well. But I'm trying to raise awareness through making videos to about the needs of people with Parkinson's, and one of my videos been shortlisted at the World Parkinson's Congress video competition again so this time around and it's about someone else this time it's not about me it's about a guy a normal a sort of more normal guy with Parkinson's as in he's a bit older he's a male and you know he's struggling with the disease but how he's trying to retain a good attitude even though it's really tough and it's not a magic you know there's no magic solution it's just his story so it's been been receiving a lot of views it's got over four 1,600 views on YouTube. So that's pretty encouraging that it's had a lot of views and has touched a lot of people from the comments that we're getting. So that's encouraging to try and raise awareness and bring to, because a lot of people don't know much, much, much about Parkinson's. And that video is really helping educate people about Parkinson's because it does not mention the word tremor. It talks about all the other symptoms he experiences rather than the tremor because the tremor is not really a key symptom that he experiences. And I think also just seeing how he moves opens people's eyes because most people don't show how they move when they're in, off, when their drugs aren't working. So I really want to raise awareness about the needs of people with Parkinson's and help them get onto the agenda in the media and help them be seen as valuable people and have their needs brought into the light. Well, I know you said that a video and a story isn't necessarily a magic solution but I think in a lot of ways it is a magic solution to a lot of what you're talking about which is the awareness understanding the ability for people to have a bit more empathy and understanding for the 
various ways in which Parkinson's can show up and therefore the various ways we can show up for our Parkinson's community. So I applaud what you're doing because I do think that the sharing of story is magic. Yeah, I agree. I think these stories are amazing of these people who are really um, struggling, but they're, um, they're fighting to live the best life they can. And that is really inspiring to people around them and people who haven't heard much about their Parkinson. So it's really encouraging. You also mentioned about, I guess, the care opportunities in Latin America for people with Parkinson's, uh, and I'm sure it extends beyond just one specific disease. But now that you are back in Australia, what have been some of the biggest things you've noticed in the the difference in the healthcare for Parkinson's? Well, here in Australia, when you're diagnosed, it does depend on who you see and what area you're in and that sort of thing. But on the whole, you can see a variety of medical professionals for example, here I saw a um, occupational therapist, a physiotherapist, someone about the diet, dietitian, I suppose, a counsellor from Parkinson's New South Wales, and um, I'm sure there's more. So a variety of different uh, voice, voice uh, therapist as well. So you can get the care you need if you look for it. Sometimes it's a little hard to find in Australia, but it is there. In Peru, um, I was diagnosed by a neurologist. That was it. And um, they go back to the doctor and he just gives them 10 to 15 minutes of time because that's probably all he has to give them. And they just get more medication and they don't don't usually get any extra uh, multidisciplinary care, which is really important to help people live the best life they can. Yeah, we know how beneficial all those different multifaceted interventions are. And so it is heartbreaking to know that there are places where that's not a readily available option. But even here in Australia, I've met people who told me, my doctor never told me about the benefits of exercise. And I think that's horrific. I think it's really sad that people haven't received that information from their doctor. Mm -hmm. So even here, I think we still need to keep raising awareness about the benefits of exercise. Absolutely. It's a very, very, very good point. Just one thing I did want to touch on again before we finish today's episode, going back to the World Parkinson's Conference, if there are people listening that like me, didn't know about that. How can people get involved? Uh, you can just look up the World Parkinson's Congress website, put it in Google and you'll find it. Uh, it's in July, the first week of July in Barcelona this year. And in three years, it'll be somewhere else. I'm not sure, probably in Northern Northern America. That's what I'm, my guess is. Um, and it's a great opportunity because it's one of the few Parkinson's meetings that, that accepts carers and people with Parkinson's to attend. Usually they keep the scientists separate or they're very, um, I don't know how to put it, but basically this is a different sort of conference where we see the benefit of co-creation. We see that if we work together, we can find out what are the real needs of people with Parkinson's and try and make research opportunities to meet the needs. So that's wonderful. And for those that uh, cannot make the trip to Barcelona, is it something that you can attend virtually as well? I don't think you can attend virtually, um, but I think they'll be making a series of videos from the event afterwards that can be shared. So I think that will be exciting to watch out for in the next few months. It will be, and we'll have to get you back on to talk all about your experience over there. Thank you. Yeah, definitely would love to tell you more about what happens there. There's a lot of exciting opportunities. And I know two of my videos will be shown there, and I've got two talks there as well, or three, including if you include the question and answer about what the, one of my videos that will be shown as well. 
Well, it's going to be a very busy time, but you are doing so much for the Parkinson's community. Thank you for the work you're doing to raise awareness and help everybody else. It really is so meaningful. So thank you for being here with us today, Christine, and all of the work you're doing on a broader scale. Yeah, and thank you, Amy, for sharing these stories. I think people really need to hear that um, having Parkinson's is the norm for other people and that they can relate to and um, be inspired by as well and be encouraged um, when they hear other people's stories. I know that these sort of um, podcasts inspire me as well. So thank you. I feel very, very lucky to sit in this seat and get to talk to incredible people every week. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Shake It Up Australia funds groundbreaking Australian research that aims to slow, stop and cure Parkinson's disease. And they need your help. To support Shake It Up's vision of a world without Parkinson's, head to shakeitup.org.au forward slash podcast. Together, we can find a cure.